On this edition of Flying High, the Philly fans' perspective, we're talking all about the Birds game. We know it ended poorly in New Orleans, but it was one heck of a run. That doesn't mean we're not heartbroken. We're going over everything from kickoff to that final pick and beyond. A little bit of Sixers and Flyers, and of course, what are the Phillies doing? Are they doing anything? Is something going to happen soon? But first, send request, play us in. If you had told me, you know, when the week started that the Saints would score 20 points, I would have thought this game is ours. This game is absolutely ours. And unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. We were in it. The whole game came out to a hot start. Definitely caught them off guard. You know, they, they had some rust from that bye week, no doubt. And they tried to hit us hard. Sean Payton calls a deep pass and Drew Brees, he had him. Cravon made a great play on that interception. It, it looked like, you know, Breeze uh, underthrew it a little bit, but Cravon made a phenomenal diving interception, and it, it just felt like they could do no wrong for that first quarter and then slipped away. But valiant effort, really good run at the end of the season. Ultimately, we're disappointed. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think some people tried to discredit that first play by LeBlanc um, saying that Breeze did over or underthrow it badly. But listen, he was in position to make a play and it was the first play of the game. And, you know, the, he made, he made a great play. So uh, that was, a, that was a, the kind of tone they needed to set in the beginning of the game. And they really took over that first quarter. It was, I mean, it was everything you wanted to see from the team coming right out the gate, playing in enemy territory after they'd gotten stomped on, and they come out into 14 nothing, and you're like, if you're an Eagles fan, you're losing your mind. I mean, I was doing the bird. <laughs> I was I was flapping in my living room like my daughter was looking at me like I was crazy. Um, I, I was go- I was just going nuts. I was like, they're they're going to do it again. Nick Foles is going to do it again. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't work out the way that we wanted it to. And it was, uh, I have a lot of feelings about the game. We're going to, we're going to go through all of it and everything. Uh, my, my, my feeling today sitting here as an Eagles fan is I couldn't be proud or could not be prouder of this team. I don't have any regrets. I mean, are there things that I wish that they had executed better? 100%. Do I wish they had not put themselves in such a hole early on? Sure. I mean, roads, many other roads could have still gone through the saints. So, um, uh, you know, process-wise, do we would we would we have changed anything? I don't know. Results-wise, sure, you always want the result to be different, but what a roller coaster at the end of the season! What more could you ask for? You got meaningful football in January. You got a crazy playoff win against the Bears. It was it was awesome, and you had a winnable game to get you to back to the NFC Championship. I mean, and considering all of the things that happened to this team, the injuries, losing Carson Wentz again not having a run game, there was just, I don't know how you could be that disappointed about it. Be disappointed that you didn't get back to the Super Bowl and be disappointed because you want to see the team win. But I don't know, man. I love this team. I got nothing but love for this team and what they did on and what they left on that field on Sunday. 
Absolutely. And I think for me, you know, first, the first set of disappointment was just looking back and understanding just how winnable the game was. You can talk about all the things that went wrong, how injuries plagued them. And in this game, it was kind of like a microcosm of the season where injuries plagued them. There was no running game. And yet they still had an opportunity with just over two minutes left to go down the field, make a drive and try and do something. And, and the fact that it was so winnable is why I was very disappointed at first. And then in the day following, I think I was mostly, no, I wouldn't say disappointed, but just depressed knowing that we've been watching a very special group of players play the past two seasons and yes this season wasn't the same as last season's crew completely but there were a lot of pieces in this team that aren't going to be there next year who were here the past two seasons who mean a lot to me mean a lot to the city and we're just really positive influences on the city that we're going to miss oh we're it's and that's unfortunate with football right the nfl the not for long league teams there's just always seems to be that 20 percent turnover attrition at the end of a season it just teams just don't stay together in the nfl it's unfortunate and we're going to see guys leave that we love but i'll tell you what i have faith in howie joe douglas i have faith in doug peterson that's one thing i can say at the end of the season that i am not worried about is coaching um i have so much faith in doug peterson you watch him you know hugging all the guys coming off the field and going into the locker room. I mean, you the, the, you can't understate the value of emotional intelligence, what this guy has brought to this team and how he has, um, what he's done to this core of players, he, he, how he's made them buy in. That second half of this season was all coaching. I mean, we, and I said this to you, I said, we have, a, we have our, our coach. And I tweeted this out too, I think, we have a coach. And look at all the teams that are looking to trying to hire a coach right now and looking for looking for a new voice. We've got it, man. I I don't fear. Um, I don't have any fears in that area right now. Do I have some concerns like with some coordinators? Yeah, I have, I have some coordinator concerns, but I have so much faith in Doug. I, I think that this team is going to continue to win with him. Are we going to win another Super Bowl? I th- you you got to have a little bit of luck there too. Um, but I'm so comfortable with Doug. I really am. I feel great about it. Yeah, and I mean, watching that video clip of him hugging all those players as they walked in, it kind of, for me, it gave me some chills. Just Absolutely. That's something you don't see in this day and age, especially on the professional level. NFL might be a little bit different, but like when you watch the NBA, you almost think that these coaches, they're, they're coaching, but the players can really do whatever they want. They don't always respect their coach. That was just a pure love for each other, and you can feel it both ways between the coach to the players and the players to the coaches. And to be honest, Justin, even though they went on this run, this team had no business being in the playoffs. They had no business being in the playoffs when we were we were upset throughout the season, but injuries plagued this team, and it wasn't the same team that we expected would be on the field at the beginning of the season. They didn't belong in the playoffs. Once again, they said, screw everybody else. We believe in each other. Doug believes in us. We're going to do it. They won a game on the road in Chicago, 
And once again, they competed in this game against the Saints, despite the fact that key players went out and clearly weren't 100 percent. Yeah, I mean, I think they're I think we can say that they were talented enough to be in the playoffs. I think they didn't like like it bring back again the process. The process wasn't good enough for them to be a playoff team, I would say, almost two thirds of the way through the season. But I think. I believe they were a talented enough group that they should have been a playoff team. And I think that's why so many people were upset when the process was going so poorly um, early on. So was I surprised that they got to the playoffs? Uh, No, I don't think I was surprised. I think it was they needed everything. It was like that miracle year with Donovan, one of those last years where you needed everything to happen and break your way. And it kind of just happened that way. And. But did they deserve to be there? Yeah, they proved it. They beat the Bears, and they almost beat the Saints. I think they proved that they were good enough to be there, and they uh, never – yeah, go ahead. I guess – I didn't really mean that they didn't deserve to be there, but as an I know, outs- I know what you meant, yeah. As an outsider, not from Philadelphia or, or who hasn't hadn't watched the team in this last stretch, when you look at the names that were playing, you would be – you would wonder, how is, how is this team where they are? How are they – up 14 nothing against the Saints in one of the loudest places I've ever heard and how did they make the game competitive throughout and almost win again you know I I understand why because they were talented enough some of those guys who you didn't know stepped up big time the coaching was perfect not not schematically but just understanding how to work the players to get the best out of those players the team deserved to be there and they showed up big I think it's a good point you bring up, too. I think we do need to get into a little bit of it, uh, the coaching job that Jim Schwartz there did defensively with those guys that came off the street late on late in the season. But first, I, you brought it up. I want to – how was it down there? Because you, for those of people that are listening um, that may not know, you went down there for the game. And you texted me, uh, I don't know what it was, Thursday night, and you were like, I'm doing it. And I said, you're doing what? And you were like, I'm going down. I was like – yeah, because you had mentioned it in the last podcast and saying, you know what, maybe I'll go down. But I didn't think you were serious. Yeah, man. So I, I texted you Friday night at like nine o'clock because I was supposed to work the weekend after I had initially mentioned it. So I'm like, no way I'm going down. And then I didn't have to work again. So I was weighing the options and I'm at the gym at Friday at like five, six p.m. Yeah, so, you know, I could clean my room. I could get my laundry done. I'll watch it at a bar. It'll be great. It'll be fine. Then I called my dad and he was like, you're crazy not to go and don't wait any longer. Just go now because you want to do New Orleans on Saturday night. And I was like, you know what, dad? You're right. So I called my friend. We hopped in the car. 13 hours later, we're in New Orleans. Man, that it's a cool city. It is a very cool city. I would love to go back, um, not as an Eagles fan. <laughs> I'd love to go back to do it up. To be quite honest, the main stretch, Bourbon Street, it was incredible on Saturday night. Birds fans took it over. But I made the mistake. My The, the first bar we went to was like, it would be the equivalent of going to a dive bar in like South Philly where everybody knows each other. Boy, okay, you went to the Cheers of New Orleans. Yeah. And... Did I get some looks because I decided to wear my light up sweater and I walked, <laughs> I walked in and was like, man, I've made a terrible mistake because some fans, you know, have a thick skull and can, can really take abuse and 
they kind of bring it on themselves. And that's the kind of person who I would imagine would wear a flashy sweater. And I walked in and realized real quickly, I'm not an outgoing person. I don't want conflict. And some, some like mid thirties lady was eyeing me up, up and down. And I can't describe the look in her face when she said to me, you best believe you're not getting served until you take that off. And it was just this look of, I'm not joking. I hate you. It was like pure disgust. And, yeah, so I quickly changed into a more modest um, Eagles pullover and went down to Bourbon Street. But the city was incredible. We went in on game day, and man, I, I really hate the Saints now um, just because of how cocky they were and everything that Sean Payton did. Their stadium's incredible. Their mm-hmm. stadium's absolutely incredible. I've 73, never. 73,000 capacity, I think they had in there. Yeah, it's it's upwards of 73. Thousand, I think you said seventy-three thousand. But for some reason, it feels it feels big. But it, I felt like I was closer than I was at my seats at the link, and I have I have seats that are kind of high up at the link. But we were very close to the top of that place, and man, it is it is loud. I'd have to imagine it's louder because oh. it's cl- enclosed, right? So yeah, and yeah. with that many more people, I'm trying to think. You know, mo- most indoor sporting events are uh, that I go to are basketball or hockey. And they don't seat nearly – I think the Wells Fargo Center only seats about 45,000, right? Something along those lines. So uh, it's got to be so much louder. Oh, my God, man. At, it, at that game, right? It, it, and it's playoff atmosphere too, and there's a lot at stake. So it's even louder. But I must say I, I was sitting there on some of those third downs just thinking – I want I want the noise to go away and I'm not on the field. So I can't imagine what it's like to be on the field trying to deal with that. It's just you could kind of unlike- see it um, in. I got kind of nervous at, to, at a, one point when they started. They, they panned to Nick's Nick Foles's face at one point when the game. This was after the interception and the game had sort of turned at this point and they showed Nick after like an incompletion. And I saw I, they, I saw his face. and It was like the first time I was worried. Yeah, and I think he handled it pretty well, uh, despite you know all that went on. I thought he handled it pretty well. I think it really hurt the offensive line when you're seeing guys like Jason Peters jumping off, and then of course you got say Amalu jumped off the one time. It's just I just can't imagine being on the field with that kind of noise. It's the it's the loudest environment I've ever been in. Mad props to the Saints fans for being so loud, and and they have this thing that pops up where it's like 70,000 against 11, never take a playoff. They don't take a playoff. They really mm. do not take a playoff. It's it's incredible. And they do that hoot at, hoot at, hoot at, think they're going to beat the Saints or whatever at the beginning of the game. And I kind of wanted to curl up in a ball and just hide while they did that because it was it was pretty epic. It reminded me of being what I would imagine it would sound like in the Roman Coliseum before some sort of battle to the death. Well, and I think, and I, and so this is going to be so interesting because I'll be so uh, I'm going to be super intrigued to hear because I kind of want to run through like how the game flowed from my perspective watching it on TV and and then just kind of like hearing your perspective from being there and kind of like what you felt and what you saw at those turning points. Uh, I think that's going to be a super interesting perspective for for anyone that's listening right now. Um, 
you know, I, we already we already said that you know it, it, everything started great, right? Like fourteen nothing, that they, they marched down on on both those possessions, and they just look great. The offense looks great. Nick looks great. Um, Wendell Smallwood was running hard. Guys were getting open. It it it, it looked like it was going to be one of those games where almost like the Vikings game, right? You you sort oh, of felt. Oh, oh, oh. Let me just tell you, there was these two Eagles fans sitting corner okay. in in the row in front of me, um, and they were next to. There was some Saints season ticket holders. They were nice guys, really nice to us. But these Eagles fans were asking for trouble by being overly obnoxious and living up to that Philadelphia stereotype. Oh boy. The guy turns to this one Saints fan and goes, hmm, reminds me a lot of the Vikings game right now after that uh, second touchdown. And I'll tell you, I'm not, I, I, I turned my friend, I think I said this last week, actually. I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little bit stitious. And I just got a t- horrible vibe at that point. Like, mm-hmm. I was excited for how things were going, but as soon as they said that, I was like, nope, nope, you don't say that. You don't say that. Well, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's true. And I didn't, I didn't say it to anybody. I didn't text it to anybody. I just kind of had, it was thinking in my head, I was like, dude, this feels like the Vikings game. Um, except, you know, the Vikings went down and scored and you were kind of worried on the very first possession, but we go down and we score two and you're thinking this is going to be a route. Now in the back of my mind, I'm thinking our right, breeze is, is much better than Case Keenum. And so the saints are a much better team. They're going to wake up at some point. We've got to just keep playing good and we're playing well. So, so the, when, yeah, go ahead. I, I just want to take it back a little bit before all of this and just kind of, you know, give you my perspective. So I, uh, we got in a little bit late, not late, late, but like just after the national anthem, I was like standing in line uh, to get in, to get concessions before going to my seat as the national anthem was played. So we like rush up to your seats, you know, s- sit down. And before you know it, kickoff's off and Drew Brees is trotting on. And that interception just happened so fast that I don't think anybody was ready for it. Like I almost did a double take. Like, wait, wait, was that the first play of the game? What? I I think I was like in the kitchen, like pouring myself a drink too. Um, iced tea folks relax. Uh, and, um, and I, like I was walking in, uh, to sit and it happened. I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. I was like, okay. I'm not even like sitting down yet. And already this is intense. So yeah, that's kind of like what was going on here. And I was like, here we go. And I, uh, to me, it was like watching it in slow motion because it happened diagonal of where I was. So I just watched the ball come out and I could, act, I could see that it was underthrown and that he had a good, uh, Craven had a good play on the ball, but then he dives and makes that catch. And that's when you're like, all right, I guess we're here to play, you know? Yep. And I kind of, I kind of figured all week, like I've been saying all week, I think these guys are going to come and it's going to be a different game. They're, they're, they're ticked off. They're not going to go down there and get pushed around. And, um, they certainly lived up to that. They lived up to that and we go back and it was, it's 14, nothing. Um, and everything's looking great. And then things start to happen, right? Um, I'm trying to remember, like I'm looking at my notes here to try to see, um, well, I'm, I'm just gonna say after that second touchdown where, uh, Foles goes in, um, I, I can't, they, they had another stop after that. And that was then, was, then the interception. Was, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the stop, uh, the touchdown happens and it's pretty quiet. Um, and they're, they're very good at being quiet for their offense on the field, like staying right. quiet. 
And after that stop, it was it was so so quiet. And the guys in front of me are talking about like, how is this happening? How is Drew Brees not beating this defense? And that's when I start feeling very confident because the defense came out to play. They yes. really did come out to play. Yes, they did. They balled. They balled the entire game. And my game ball goes to the defense here. Uh, I know that there was a lot of sentiment after the game. And I know and I specifically mentioned Seth Joyner in his postgame analysis on CNN or C- CNN, CSN. <laughs> Damn, um, he got he got upgraded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on CSN, he, he goes on like this. He goes on like this this tear, like this bender uh, about Schwartz and the defense, and basically saying like Schwartz is a scapegoat and the defense was like pathetic. And it's like, what game are you watching? They held the Saints. The Saints have been held to, to under thirty points twice this entire season. And I was listening to the radio on the ride home, and there were a lot of people with that same mentality and I was just wondering like are these guys crazy that that defense came to play the Fletcher Cox was playing on one leg I I think it that's the emotional reaction right because the defense gives up the final score right that's the emotional reaction oh the defense didn't do enough that but that's so it's such a superficial reaction you don't you don't you didn't watch the game if you think the defense was an issue. Yes. Did they have a very bad third quarter? Yeah. Yes. A lot of things happened in that third quarter, though. They, they weren't able to take advantage of. That's my really only thing that I would say is that Schwartz was was badly outcoached in the third quarter. He did not have the right schemes. He, he had the guys uh, on third and long. They were scorched on third and long. Every single time Breeze converted and then they would get pushed back on penalties and he still couldn't take advantage. That's what I think was most frustrating. And you and I were talking about that third and 16 where we just they were out of field goal goal position. And you just knew if they could stop him here, we were going to be okay. And they convert like a 30 yarder pass right down the middle and no one's there. And it's like, how do you leave Michael Thomas uncovered? Yeah, man. Uh, And I think we'll touch more on that third quarter drive um, in a little bit. I just want to take it back to early on in the game because there's just so much to discuss about the game. So I think we'll just follow kind of the timeline. Yeah, that's fine. I'm getting getting away from myself here because it's so it's still emotional. We have we have different points that we're definitely going to hit. But I like right now I'm following this timeline and thinking about different plays that we thought made a difference or maybe some plays that could have made a difference. So here's, here's what I'm thinking. We're up 14, nothing. Now we've just scored a touchdown. Um, it's the defense is playing very well. And then where is the play? So, Oh, it was first and 10 where uh, Timmy Jernigan gets that taunting call. And people, I know you're upset about that. And I know a lot of people are upset about that. I just want to point out that that ended in a punt. So for all intents and purposes, that really was not a horrible call in the end result of the game. And, you know, you don't want to see it happen. Um, it didn't It didn't really change the momentum, though. Uh, from being that's, there, that, that didn't really change the momentum. That's um, fair. I think I wrote that down because I think my first – I still maintain it was a dumb penalty uh, because it could have came back and bit them. And it's really the only one of its kind that happened during the game. But I guess I put it down there also because I was kind of baffled that the I didn't agree with the penalty, to be honest. 
I have two schools of thought. Number one, I think Jernigan's got to rein in, rein in his emotions a little bit there. But also, these refs need to understand what the stakes are in this game. Um, you have to understand the lead up to this game. I just sort of didn't understand that. That's sort of just to me, that's sort of a ref stepping in and just kind of being like, you guys aren't going to do this on my field type of thing. And so it kind of just rubbed me the wrong way, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree that. I mean, it, it was tough to see because I didn't get to see a replay on that one. Uh, they just called it, so I wasn't sure what happened. But it didn't. He stood over him and basically made it very obvious that he was, you know, having some words with Breeze. I mean, there's a way to taunt, uh, but standing over a guy for like longer than five seconds is going to make it super obvious. Yeah, and and on that same drive, this is a play that's not being discussed um, quite as much. And 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 it, it maybe it's not a game changer. Maybe I'm overlooking it. But it was that third and eight at the New Orleans uh, 45. Brandon Graham sacks him. Uh, you have your fumble, which he they say he recovers, but clearly he didn't recover. I think if he actually focuses on recovering that instead of trying to run it back, like just just fall on the ball, you, you get the ball at a better field position, and you're in very good position to score once again. And I think this is before the end of the. I think it was before the end of the first quarter still. So you have another chance to, yeah, that's still in the first quarter. So you're getting the ball at the New Orleans 45 in, in the opponent's territory if you just fall on that ball instead of trying to pick it up and run with it. I was so worried that they were going to turn that into an Eagles fumble and uh, give it, you know, give it back to um, the Saints. Dude, uh, I would have thrown that, up. That whole thing up. was that whole thing was like, I had to look that up because it was like, again, here's this, you have this crazy call go against you. And what game was the, was the unrecovered fumble uh, again? What was that? was uh, um, Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> oh yeah. That was, that was the Chicago game. It and it was like, unbelievable. Um, the, this, yeah. So, uh, and then um, this, and then you're watching this and being like, here we go again, this is going to happen. Right. I think uh, the thing, the thing that frustrates me there too is um, it starts out with a flag. So you're like, what on what what on earth is the flag for? And they're discussing, they're discussing, and then they come out and say, "Oh, there's no flag on the field." But right. but this this happened. It's like what this went from a flag to somehow the Saints have the ball again. I just think that's a weird rule, don't you I'm think? Like if there's a if there's like a if if the the Saints have the ball, the Eagles recover and then fumble, and then it goes back to I don't know. It's just a weird rule. I guess it, it makes sense because. But like the Eagles never possessed the ball offensively, so like the fact. I, I think it would weird. make. I think it would make more sense if he picked it up, ran twenty yards, and then fumbled it again. Then I could see how that makes sense. Right. So I, I guess it's once they have full possession and are That's true. That's true. run are are a ball carrier or yes. is a ball carrier, whatever it is. I guess so. It's kind of like the catch rule, but with yeah. covering the fumble, which is when. When you look at the replay, it was crazy, and you're like, there's no way that they can say he had full possession of that. But I would have liked to see him fall right on that because then yeah. you're, you're set up with a short field. You can work some more short passes, uh, get a quick score, whether it be early in the second quarter. And that next possession is where the interception um, comes in. Yeah, and that was uh... – from my perspective, I, I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be a lot more interesting from yours. But from my perspective, you know, you could see the crowd got right back into the game 
Uh, and it was definitely what you didn't want to happen at that point because then they got super loud and, uh, you know, here, here comes everybody getting pretty, pretty fired up. And I'm trying to remember what happens. Did they, did they score on that next possession that the saints? Yeah, they, they did. They went down and scored. And so then 14, seven, you're like, oh man, you're still thinking like, all right, we just got to go back out there and keep doing what we're doing. As long as we stay ahead, we're fine. But what you can't go out and do is go three and out, give them the ball right back, which is what the Eagles did. Yeah. Um, you know, it was I, I don't understand why I felt this way at the time, but I specifically remember as they're starting that drive, it's like, oh, my God, 21, nothing. And I'm and I'm comfortable. 21, nothing. And I'm really comfortable. And he throws the interception. And yes, it was loud. I don't know if I kind of zoned out at that point with my mindset, um, because I, I thought intercepted. They got the ball at, you know, like the 30 yard line. Yes, that's really bad, but I'm I'm not overly concerned because they're deep in their territory and I really like how our defense has been playing. And to me, it didn't feel like that interception got the crowd as loud as they were earlier in the game. They still felt it felt like they got a little you know breath of fresh air, but they fully believed. That's interesting. And when you follow it up with what happened, this is uh this is the drive where they do the fake punt and that's that's really what i thought was the game changer because if they stop them at the 30 it's a different ball game still because they don't score that touchdown they get that interception but we stop them and get the ball right back instead of a fake punt that led to a, a lengthy drive and a score and I actually didn't even realize Taysom Hill was in the game until after they converted it but then oh. as soon as i realized he was in the game i was like that's the only thing this guy does. How did how did nobody see this? How did I mean, nobody see this? Oh, dude, leading up to that, first off, there was a holding penalty on third and one, so they had the chance to get a third and 11. Was it right to decline that penalty? I don't know. I, I go back and forth, and I'm sure Doug might regret that, but you, you would think fourth and one at your own 30, down 14 nothing. you're not going to try a fake. But... You also have Taysom Hill, and that's like a bowling ball that you can just roll through the line. And I don't know if you stop him at third and 11. I really don't know if you stop him, but I think I might choose to accept that holding penalty and have the third and 11 because you back them up to their own 20-yard line with the third and 11. That was talked about a lot after. And to be honest, I'm not a head coach. I don't know what I would have done either. I might have the defense was playing so well at that point. I might have taken my chances yeah. with third and eleven. Because, um, like, I think you're right that I think that fake punt gave them life. It gave the crowd life. It uh, sort of gave the Saints a swagger. Um, they sort of got a little cocky after that, and I think they kind of got their mojo back after that. They kind of were like, "All right." Um, so I think if if I could go back, uh, I would have liked to have seen them defend the third and eleven. I mean, it's, let's look. It's six and one half a dozen the other. It's it's a tough it's a tough call. No, it absolutely is. The my mindset in accepting that is at that point the defensive line was playing out of their minds. Um, they 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 didn't. I don't think they had a sack. Uh, yeah, they did. But they were getting pressure on Breeze without having to do any sort of schematic um, blitz. So that third and eleven could have been one more 
where they get to breeze and force them to make a bad throw. And also, I mean, you can't foresee this as a coach, but that fourth and one play is the play where Fletcher Cox gets injured. So that whole drive where they go down and score, our best defender is not in the ball game. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, having him go out then, then this was, and this was after Brooks went out, right? When did Brooks go out? Um, let me check. Because this was, then you, then you see Fletch go out and you're like, Oh yeah. yeah. So Brooks was injured on the second touchdown drive. Um, he was injured second and seven at the New Orleans third. So it was two plays before Foles did that 30-yard pass where uh, he uh, Alshon kind of came back and caught it. And it was like two plays after uh, New Orleans lost Rankins, who also tore his ACL. So it was it was very – there was actually jokes being made about uh, there's no more cart drivers out there because every other play there was a cart driving over to the field. There were a lot of injuries. I mean, yeah, uh, some people were questioning, like, what do they got on that turf? But um, – yeah, Fletch gets hurt, and he you end up finding out he plays through a foot injury the whole time. But you know you weren't going to keep him out of the game. But you lose the best right guard in football, and then I thought when Fletcher went out of the game, I I thought it was a different game defensively. I thought they didn't have the same type of pressure, and he's just such he he is an, an excuse me he is an elite player. He is an elite pass rusher. And there's just there are not many guys like him. And so to take him out of the game, the Saints really got a break there, I thought. Yeah. And uh, I want to go back to the Hill play. But before I do that, it, w- it was absolutely incredible. Fletcher Cox first play back in the game. He absolutely bullied the offensive lineman. And I'm pretty sure he got a holding call in his in the first the first play back. It was just so evident what kind of impact he makes when he's in the game. But going going back to the Taysom Hill play, I know you you said you didn't realize he was in in the play um, at the time. But did they call a timeout before that? No, no. Uh, Michael Bennett got hurt. No. Oh, I got. I don't remember exactly what happened that um, that stopped the play. But I noticed right away that Taysom Hill was going out on the field, and I turned to my friend and I said, "They gotta watch Taysom Hill. I think it's gonna be a fake." I, I, he's not in the game. He's, he's a legitimate threat. You need to watch that. And sure enough. I mean, do they put him out there normally on special teams? Like, is, I, he, is he a special teams player? Yeah, he is. Okay. Not, I, so I think that's where he is, but I just got this bad feeling because they kept, um, Doug kept the defensive, you know, crew on the field. So it was actual defensive players, but I don't see why he didn't just line them all up on the line. I, I, I'm not exactly certain what happens if you don't have someone back to receive. Maybe they pin you deep or something, but I would have stacked all 11 guys on the line, made sure they couldn't do a fake pass, and then just there's no way he gets that yard. I agree. Uh, it was one of the ones I think that yeah, he, Doug would probably want back. It was a definite turning point in the game. Then you have the interception, then you have that. Um and those were just two things. I think if they if they swing the other way, who knows, man? I think it's a different game. There's so many what ifs in this game. That's the thing that kills you. You have those two things. You have the injuries that it's just a part of the game. So you can't really wish those things away because those things happen. But yeah, you lose two of your best players. That's never ideal. I mean, you don't. You can't lose the best right guard in football. You can't lose the best 
tackle in football either. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's and, just and another guy that really hurt to go out was um, Rasul Douglas went out for a bit. So they bring in yes. this, they bring in this Hawkins, and he's actually uh, the guy that gets bullied on that fourth and one plays. He, he's not able to stop him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was, that was a crushing one. It was fourth and one. You're like, if we stop him here, you know, obviously they don't score a touchdown, but I kind of was like, all right, if we, this would be great to get this, but I didn't really expect it. Cause it was, it's the saints. They have guys like Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. I almost expected like a, like Kamara to be out in the flat and just kind of, kind of rush it in or, or sweep it into the outside. But then they, they, you know, credit Breeze. He noticed that Russell Douglas wasn't in the game, and he, he took advantage of it. Not that's when I kind of threw whatever was in my hand at that point. I threw it. I don't know where it went, and I don't remember what it was, but I threw it because that made the game fourteen fourteen. Uh, four was that four? That was that this was is 14, the first touchdown, so right? Fourteen seven, and because so because I, I just wanted to so touch. Bad at remembering, but it's I, I have like the play by play up, so I'm I'm looking at it in like remembering things that are kind of making me feel sad now. But before anything else went awry, like it, it definitely felt like the momentum had spun into the Saints direction after that punt. But once again, when uh, they tackle Michael Thomas short of the end zone on third and goal, and you have a fourth and goal, I legitimately thought if they're going for it here, we can stop them and this will shut the crowd up real quickly. Yeah. Matt props to the play design on this one because they did that uh, Patriots um, goal line screen kind of thing where the outside receiver cuts in and Hawkins got burnt on. I think this might have been the play where uh, actually was it Hawkins or it might have been Maddox who got somebody got burnt. Um, I think you're right. I think it was Hawkins because he because he cuts in towards that receiver. So the, the outside receiver breaks in as if he's going to get a screen pass inside the blockers. And Hawkins takes like two steps and then realizes that uh, Kirkwood is breaking out and it was just too little too late. If he was two steps in the other direction, he could have deflected that pass. But it was a great pass and a great play design there, to be honest. But it was definitely a bite by Hawkins that that kind of hurt. Yeah, it was. It was unfortunate. And I mean, what are you going to do? Can you get that mad that the guy off the street is, you know, gets burnt by Drew no. Brees and you know the receiver also, Kirkwood's nothing to write home about. But I was, it was, I was you're gonna, right; it was a nice play. Yeah, I was gonna say um, it. Hurt, it hurts me to like congratulate someone in this game, but shout out to Keith Kirkwood because that's Temple University's finest uh, making a big play on on the big stage. So I, I didn't like that that happened, but Keith Keith Kirkwood representing Temple real quickly. Um, but yeah, after that touchdown, that's when I was like, uh, it felt like we were starting to play the game, not to lose instead of playing the game to win. Oh, definitely felt like, I don't know what happened after this. And the offense just went completely dormant. Um, it seemed like the play calling went conservative. It seemed like it certainly seemed like, I don't want to say that Nick was phased by the noise or Nick was somehow, you know, uh, the pre- letting the pressure get to him. It was just, it was different. It was, there was a different feel to it. You almost felt like they were, they were feeling the pressure a little bit as a unit. I think they just really just kind of, the passes weren't crisp. Um, you know, there were, there were some routes that weren't, that weren't cleanly run. But yeah, I mean, the most obvious thing was that Nick seemed off. Nick just seemed off after that. I think um, 
I really think that the Saints defense also showed up, to be quite honest. Our receivers weren't getting open as he like there there were passes that were being forced into tight windows because they weren't getting separation. They weren't I, I and and I think that another thing that really hurts that as we talked about a lot was the running game was not even thought about. So they started playing off. They started only rushing for, um, they, they brought some pressure, but they really covered all of the receivers well. And that's where you saw the plays start not happening. Yeah. And it, I thought it was telling that Josh Adams did get a snap. He was a, he was a, did not play coach's decision. Uh, that was very interesting to me. Um, just to talk about the run game for a minute, and I know we're going to get into this next week, and but I'm going to touch on it a little bit today. Yeah, um, that run, the run, the running backs that they have, the run game is not was not good enough to win. I know it was good enough last year, but you also had like Garrett Blunt. You had, um, you know, you you had. Uh, did we have a Jai last year? Yeah, yeah we had a Jai yeah, last year. We had Jay Jai last year. We had like Garrett Blunt. We had Corey Clement stepping up. Like you didn't need Wendell Smallwood last year. I mean, like you had complimentary. You had enough complimentary pieces last year that you you didn't need that bell cow running back. Um, but you don't have that this year. And I just thought Doug relied on Darren Sproles too much in this game. I thought there were far too many times where he tried to run Darren Sproles on like third and like third and two, third and one, like up the gut. And I don't know. I, I just, I, I've said this last week and we talked about this last time we did the pod, but I just think he's over, he, he's, he overused Sproles. Um, a little bit too much in this game. And I don't know if that's due to listen, Darren Sproles is a phenomenal player and he definitely changed the chemistry of the offense when he came back. There's no denying that whatsoever. I will be the first to admit that he changed. He definitely helped the team in that game against Chicago. But I think that Doug relied on him too much. Uh, and it's could just it, unfortunate. God, could it be that he relied on him in the wrong way? Because I think I, so. I actually felt that they could have used Sproles more, but in that screen action type, uh, he had one really nice play where they just dumped it off to him and the offensive line got out in front, made some nice blocks. And Sproles is really good at reading the blocks and knowing where to cut and where mm -hmm. to go. Um, so I think more plays like that, they, they ran a play with Smallwood um, similar where it was a screen play and he had the outside of the field was open if he had gone right towards the sideline more, but he tried to cut back and the Defender reached out and stopped him. Um, so I, f I felt like using Sproles in those quick passes, maybe more wheel routes like we saw in the Houston game, uh, more as the passing. I know he talked more about the rushing attack, but I would have liked to see Sproles used more on the outside on some of the screen plays and then keep bruising it with Smallwood because Smallwood was running pretty well. Absolutely. I, I would 100% agree with that take. And that's kind of like what I'm getting at, I think, right now. I think. I'm not a big fan of the shotgun like option handoff anyway. I don't like that with any running back because I don't like the idea of a running back not getting a full head of steam when he gets the ball. But especially with a guy like like Sproles, who's not big to begin with. And I just I hate that play with him. I hate it. They've tried to run it a few times and he just got absolutely stuffed. And so, yes, I would to go back to your original question. I think that Doug a few times, maybe more than a few times, used him incorrectly. Um, so this leads me to my, to my discussion that we've been having back and forth, uh, you know, about 
do we need a bell cow running back? And I think that we do. I think that the running game as constructed right now, they're going to get a Jai back next year. We'll see what kind of shape is if they bring him back. I mean, he's under contract, I believe. So, uh, they got to decide what they want to do there and whether or not his knee is or his knee shot. I don't know. Is he going to, is he going to be an injury prone guy? Um, but he, you know, having him come back, I thought it was a real good opportunity for Corey Clement to step up this year after a Super Bowl performance. And that just never materialized either for, so I, I don't, I like Corey Clement. I don't really think you can keep him around. I, I, I think he kind of proved he's not reliable in, in that role. So what do you, so I don't know. Sproles sounds like he might try to come back. You were going to have, I don't know what they do with Smallwood. I just think you need a number one guy. If he's not a bell cow, you just need a guy who is like, you look at, all right, he's our number one guy. He's here's who we're going to give most of our handoffs to, right. Or most of our snaps yeah. to. So I, we'll talk about this more, you know, next week when we do our full season recap and moving forward where we think we're going to go. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on, a lot of people said that bringing LeGarrette Blunt back, back wouldn't have made a difference because of what he did um, in Detroit this year. But I, I want to think that LeGarrette Blunt's in Detroit. That's a whole different atmosphere, a whole different coaching staff, a whole different group of players. And it, uh, it's just a different, it's the Lions. They can be good some seasons, but right now it's still just the Lions where I feel like if he was on this team, he would have been perfect asset to get those third and two, third and three bruiser back downs. And we saw what he can do when he breaks away and has a full head of steam. And I think he was a, he was a really good character in the locker room, maybe not character, but a presence, a veteran presence. Uh, there was times early in his career where you thought he was immature. Uh, he didn't know how to handle himself, but he, he really grew as an individual. And I think he was a strong anchor in the running back core last season. And he would have made a difference this season. So I, I, I disagree with anybody who says that LeGarrette Blunt couldn't have changed the season, uh, whether or not I'm right. Who knows? Oh, I, I think he was liked by coaches and players alike here. I think he was very well liked here. Um, I, I think he absolutely would have made a difference. So I don't, I would like to, I would like to meet someone who is of that opinion. I, there's just a lot of people who are saying, Oh, you see what he did in Detroit. It's like Detroit's Detroit, Detroit sucks, man. Dude. He's in Detroit. Like Matt Patricia sucks as a head coach. Like Detroit's a dumpster fire. Why are you, what are you looking at Detroit for? Yeah. But assess, hear that. Yeah. Assessing the, the running back I issue um, right now before doing any deep thinking, I would go one of two ways. I would either really attack the running back in the draft this season, try and do whatever you can. You have 10 draft picks this upcoming season. Try and find a way to get a running back trade up to get a good running back or I have had my eye on this kid from Georgia uh, DeAndre Swift he has some serious moves he can cut on a dime but he's back at Georgia this year so if you want to sign a jive for that one season have him be the guy for one more year you get Carson back uh, it's a much better option at running back than they had and then put all the eggs in the basket at Swift. I know I, I'm kind of biased just because I've seen a lot of games with him playing and I really like his running style. Um, I, maybe it's because I also like Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle out of Georgia. I just think Georgia has really good running backs. And when I watch this guy, DeAndre Swift, I 
see someone who can bruise, someone who has speed, and someone who can cut on absolute dime that kind of reminded me of shady style agility. And it got it gets me excited when I watch him play. So that that would be a two year plan, I guess, but a Jai could do the trick for one year. I'd be okay with that, but I, I'm I'm I have to question, maybe challenge you on that. Is Ajayi, Sproles, and Smallwood slash Clement enough for next year? I don't know if it is. Yeah, you, absolutely. Another. Well, we'll talk about it next week. But they could do another option where, like, maybe they go out and draft or uh, sign someone to a one-year contract who's better than Ajayi can do the trick because. There's a lot of running backs out there that are solid backs who will be better than any of the three we have who also aren't your bell cow style back. You just have to find the right fit, I guess. Yeah, like could you go get Carlos Hyde maybe? You know, like it, I know uh, he didn't really do much after they traded him to to the Jaguars once Fournette came back. But, I mean, maybe they dump Carlos Hyde and, you know, hey, I'd be willing to take a shot with Carlos Hyde. Still pretty good running back. I mean, we'll see if that's the plan. I mean, other than that, uh, otherwise, I'd, I'd prefer to go draft a guy. And, we, yeah, we, and we, could, we could actually probably do a whole pod on just what we want to see out of the draft because this team has a lot of needs now. Yeah, and, and I, I definitely want to look at uh, the running back field coming out this year and just see it. it because you don't want to make a drastic move knowing you have a need for a running back and overdraft a player. Like maybe in this in this season, uh, some guy, there's a back who's would normally be a late second round pick who's going late in the first round. And you don't want to waste draft picks and X and X and X and X because you're desperate. You definitely want to be patient. And I think this front office won't do anything stupid and drastic like that unless it's really a guy that they believe is a game changer. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. And I don't know. I am not up on my draft uh, stuff yet. So I can't really even sit here and say there's a guy that I know for a fact that I want, um, because I think that we, we have other needs that also are, you know, possibly bigger, but we'll see. I think that's one of the biggest, if it's, if, if it's not the biggest need, it's definitely like two or three in my opinion, running back. So without a doubt, uh, uh Let's take it. Let's take it back to the game because we have yeah. a. There was a. There we've been talking a lot about uh, what happened in in the first half, but once again, end of the second quarter, we're still up fourteen to ten. You don't like going uh, three and out on your first possession. I definitely didn't feel good about that. I didn't like any of the play calls that happened in that in that first drive, um, but they had an opportunity to. Stop the Saints a few times on the next drive, which I must say, sitting there, it just felt like forever. It just felt like forever, and you don't realize it till they put the numbers up on the board. And 18 plays, 92 yards, 11 minutes, 29 seconds. But it, they, for for the, the most part, the entire third quarter was the Saints' one drive. So my dog Penny had to go out. And so I took her out and, you know, it wasn't a quick walk. It wasn't a long one, but we, you know, I came back and I think they still had possession. So I, I was like, I, number one, I was like, Penny, can, can we seriously just wait till the end of the quarter? <laughs> she couldn't wait, took her out. So that was bad enough. But then I came, I come back in and I'm like, what is like, I still have the ball. So I, I, I have to, I, I missed a lot of that. I went back and, and, and watched it again later, but, um, yeah. Then you kind of, but, but here's the thing again, I bring it back. Like the, the, 
it's hard because the defense it was the ultimate like bend but don't break and they and again they ended up giving up you know um the the the, the next uh couple scores but the, the the defense they never quit they never stopped right they they never wilted yeah. in this game the the defense talk about guys like LeBlanc and Maddox and like guys who weren't even supposed to be on the field this year. I mean, you've got guys that are young. Number one, LeBlanc who was cut three times out there balling. And, you know, this game's not this. Yeah. This game's not the same without LeBlanc starting it off the way it is. So anybody put the blame on him there. Um, that's just, just can't be. So it's an unfortunate drive. Um, and the fact that they sustained it was really, really frustrating. But I also look at that with the half glass full mentality in that young, there's some young players out there who are going to get better from this. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I feel like I'm giving a lot of my, uh, <laughs> I'm giving a lot of the emotional analysis right now. And you're just trying to get through the, uh, the numbers <laughs> game here, but so no, I'm I think I think right now it's just hitting me because I, I I that drive was I almost got lost and forgot about some of the things that happened, but all the while it was just so crazy sitting there how it all went down. And I look back to you know they're moving the ball a little bit, completing passes, but it doesn't really feel like they're killing us. Uh, they're still on their half of the field. Um, they cross. Or no, I'm sorry. It's they're at the 46. So there was a third and three where uh, Breeze made a nice pass to the tight end Hill, and it was just a good play. There was really no stopping that. So right. uh, for uh, first and ten at our 46. So they've they've crossed the field. This is the first play where I held my breath and was like, oh, oh my god! And it was when Drew Breeze went deep to uh, to Hill in the end zone underthrew him and Maddox made a nice play on that ball. But you just saw Taysom Hill was open streaking. And normally that's a pass that Drew Brees is going to make and throw right in the bread basket. And yep. you kind of. Can't believe. And you feel like you have the momentum back. And then I didn't even realize this at the time that Taysom Hill stepped in at quarterback and Drew Brees was like, cause they look like the same player for God's sakes, especially yeah. when you're up in, in the 600 level, um, kind of far away, but he throws that touchdown to Camara and it explodes. And yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Shh, this is, this is what we didn't want. This is yeah. what we didn't want. And then you see the flag and that's a lot of people, you know, when you get excited at the stadium and your team has scored, you're not looking at the scoreboard, seeing that there's a flag up. So you're all under the impression that they've scored. I see the flag and immediately I'm like, thank God. Cause you could see the refs pointing towards the stains. So you go from Drew Brees' pass. You're scared. They stop it. You're excited. Touchdown pass. You're devastated. It's a flag. You're excited. It's second and 20. And then from there on out, the only thing that killed us was that they could not stop Michael Thomas. Nope. Michael Thomas took over the game. Right then and there, uh, that second and 20, I was feeling pretty good. Actually, the second and 20, I was like, all right, we just just nothing big. And then they convert a big one. Right. They, they get, And it's just it just trickles down from there. And then it's 17, 14. And I'm still feeling OK. I'm like, all we need is one possession. Really, that's all we need. You know, the offense continues to sputter. Um, 
And then, you know, we're into the fourth quarter, right? I don't know if you have anything else before the, before this, but then we're into the fourth quarter and, you know, they kick, you know, they, they, they bring in lots to kick the field goals, 20 to 14, right? Is this where you are? Um, I, I, I want to see what else I had to say. I think I just had one. Uh, just, I mean, we, we talked about that third and 16 play, but that, that, that's just the one part, the one time th- where you want to, see, I think on second and 20 and on third and 16, I want to see a little bit of pressure and I want to see you concerned. Like you can't just let Michael Thomas attack his own. Yeah. I mean, and people, people want to get on Schwartz who I'll talk about at the end because, again, I still think he had a nice game. We'll want to get on him for not blitzing. But I think Swartz has been around long enough. He's been doing this system long enough to know when blitzes, that that blitzes that don't get home um, are rarely, you know, what does that do? That leaves, you know, that, that, that puts so much more pressure on the corners and the secondary. So... You know, not blitzing, I, I kind of understand it from a point, but then what I don't understand is like leaving the middle of the field open when you're not blitzing. So yeah. I that that I did that I kind of don't understand. And how you could possibly leave on 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 second and long and third and long. How do you leave the middle of the field open, dude? How do you and not that, bring yeah. someone down? Like and I understand yeah. that Maddox Maddox is inexperienced and but you just can't have that happen there. It just can't happen. I th- and it's third and six. When you put it into perspective, it's third and 16. They're still not in the red zone and it's 14 to 10 still. If there's ever been a time where you don't want to just play back, now is the time. I think uh, whether it's pressure or just bringing someone down, making sure Michael Thomas can't get open and get a few yards after the catch, that's just the, it's the one guy who you have to look out for. And I, I think a blitz forces uh, Breeze to throw it too quickly that they can't pick up those 16 yards. He's not going to have time to get rid of it. And the secondary tackled very well. So I'm not really concerned about not being able to tackle a player, especially if you focus on a guy like Michael Thomas. I'm less afraid of Keith Kirkwood or uh, right. Traquan Smith, anybody else but Michael Thomas uh, getting more than 10 yards because – at that point in the game, if you stop them anything short of like two yards from the first down marker, I think they're kicking the field goal and they're taking 14, 13 and yeah. Yeah. that deflate that deflates the fans when it's an 11 and a half minute drive and it ends in three points instead of seven. And here's the thing about it being like you putting, putting anything on the defense in this game, a touchdown wins the game for the offense. All you needed to do was score one more time and you had three quarters to do it and they could not put up another like you couldn't put up a field goal. You couldn't put up another singular point. This was a when all said and done, when the dust settled, 21 to 20 wins this game. That's what kills me is that you could not put up a single point after the first quarter. Yeah, man, it's it's frustrating. And moving on through the fourth quarter, um, I forget when it was that they used that first timeout. Was that in the fourth quarter when they used the timeout? Yeah, no, that was early in the third quarter actually when they used their first timeout. And I'll get to that later where that ultimately still could have made a difference. That's kind of where the home field advantage sound 
thing comes in because they had to use that timeout because they couldn't hear. Um, but the Saints drive again, 10 plays, and they get, I think it was an incredible play by Cravon, was it? Somebody made an awesome tackle on Kamara at one point to stop him from breaking away. But uh, they hold him. Oh, it was Michael Bennett made an awesome play on third and eight into the backfield to tackle uh, Kamara on that run. And that kind of that pushed it from a should be gimme field goal to a 52 yarder. And the fans did not sound at all like they were uh, confident in him making that kick. And, you know, once again, magic, he misses a kick. We get the ball back. Oh, man, that was crazy. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, here we it's like we're still we can do this. You know what I mean? Like I still I had hope till the very end of the game. You know, I, I, I had a lot of hope. Um, so, you know, I'm in the fourth quarter, um, I'm not feeling great about the offense, but um, I, I, I remember that all we need is one. All we need is one. And we had our opportunity. We had it. It was Nikki Foles. The ball's in his hands, driving down the field. And the time was on our side, too. We had two timeouts. Um, everything was there that I think nothing it, it would it have surprised you if Nick had taken you down there and won that game. I don't think it would have surprised anybody. You certainly were a little bit, I think, nervous considering how the last like, you know, half dozen possessions had gone. But, you know, there we were, we were right there. We were 40, 30, 40 yards away. Yeah, man. I would I would say that I was a little bit nervous, and then they get that roughing the passer call to get them to the twenty seven yard line, and at that point I was thinking, all right, we're gonna score right here. Mm-hmm. That's when yep. I, that's when it really kicked in that like Foles was doing enough to make an, another run, and I had faith in him. And to be quite honest, man, he makes the throw. He, he makes the he throw. Makes the throw right into the hands. Uh, yeah. And here's where, here's all I'm going to say. It was devastating to see that go through Alshon Jeffrey's hands. Absolutely devastating. There's no two ways about it. He has to have that catch. He's, He's paid to make the catch. He has to have it. But I can't knock Alshon Jeffrey because he made clutch catch after clutch catch after clutch catch for this team. This season, after being questioned repeatedly, is a student number one, is a student number one, is a student number one. And he showed me he was a number one this year. He didn't have the volume of a number one. Like, he doesn't have Michael Thomas's catch volume. He doesn't have his yardage. But whenever I felt like whenever you made, whenever you needed a big catch this, this year, especially in the final two games in, with, against the Saints and against the Bears, he came down with them. And he just missed one really bad one. It's just really unfortunate. I can't like I can't hold. I can hold it against him because he's paid to make that catch. But I'm not going to put the game on Alshon Jeffrey. I just won't do that. I mean, it's it's cliche to say one play doesn't make the game, and it's true. One play doesn't make the game. And for most of this season, and especially during this run, like you said. 
Alshon's a guy that you just throw the ball in the air and he goes up and it, it sticks to his hands. So I think that's what made it so unbelievable that he... At the end of the day, when you have a chance to drive and win the game, you have a play where the pass is made, it's in your hands, you have to catch it. So I do I do I blame him for the whole game? No. Uh Yes, I appreciate everything he's done. But I still blame him a lot for that loss. Like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I'm, Tell us I, I'm, I'm, I still, you can't let him off the hook for that simply because he's made catches earlier in the game or because, I mean, some people were making the excuse that he brought you a Super Bowl, and that is a great point. And I think that's why we still love and appreciate him, and we're not ripping him to shreds. Because yeah. And, yeah. and especially when you see how devastated he was to drop that ball. You know, I was looking back earlier today um, at the Saints game from 2013, and there's a play so eerily similar where Riley Cooper has a chance to uh, get a touchdown, and he just straight up drops the ball. That's a guy that I hate. That's a guy that, <laughs> you know, you can just say, you suck, you kind of blew the game for us. But Alshon... He falls down to the ground. He's devastated. You feel for the guy. You got to make that catch, but you're not, it's not something that you're going to hold against him forever, but it kind of knocks his legacy down. Like it one was right. It, I, I yeah, would, I would it, say, cause you're not going to forget that. No. And I don't think he's ever going to forget it either. It was, it was neither Eagles fans. I mean, that's going to stick in their minds for, you know, a long time. And do I feel bad for him a little bit there? Absolutely. I feel for the guy. Uh, he played through broken ribs. I commend him for that. I thank him for that. And I thank him for every did everything he did to win us a Super Bowl. But I, and I agree with you. He, you know, he has to take on some of that criticism. He should have had it. So I, I think, yeah, yeah, he, he acknowledged it. He, he basically, you know, after the game said, it's on me, Philly. And I give him a lot of respect for that. I give him a lot of props for that. It takes, you know, takes a lot of it takes some mental toughness to 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 not only speak to the media after after that but to kind of own it so i give him respect for that so i just kind of feel like it, i'm not going to put the whole game on him but you know it's uh yeah. it's unfortunate and you know like they, they go down and this is where that timeout could have been useful where uh they they um uh, they used their timeouts, but they had a chance to stop him. Um, I think, where does Kamara break loose? Kamara breaks loose. It's Oh, it's third and 10. So if they had not used that first timeout, they could have uh, called one more timeout. So they would have had about a minute left mm -hmm. um, to work with instead of, had they not let Kamara break loose to end the game, we would have seen the birds get the ball back with about 20 seconds and uh, Nick's got magic, but I don't think anybody's going to pull off in the uh, Superdome that kind of magical play with 20 seconds left. No, no, I think, yeah, that was pretty much it. And that was all, you know, that was all she wrote. Was the right? game. Like you said, yeah, there we go. The we, we hit the end of the game. Uh, this was a, this was a real analytical look at it from, we got emotional, we had our love and our hate, but we looked at it analytically and by the numbers and by the schematics, whatever you want to call it, just something to close out the game. I think, although we don't like seeing a player like Alshon uh, drop the ball and we don't like seeing our season end like that, 
it just speaks so highly of the character of the players on this team and the character of the coaches, the way that they lifted him up. You know, Nick Foles, it's an interception in in his stat book as well. And people look at that and, and say, oh, he had interceptions, whatever. It was a well-thrown ball. Nick Foles goes right over to Alshon, picks him up off the ground because Alshon's laying down devastated. And I think a lot of players aren't going to – they'll pick their brother up, but the way that all these guys go over and console him and Doug gets him right away and talks to him on the sideline and what he was telling him, he said, was that, you know, you've done so much. Basically what we've been talking about, you've done so much for us. We love you. You can't let this one play <coughs> destroy you. And, and then everything that you just see after the game, I, I think that's what makes this team so lovable is that they – they love each other, and they, they truly love this city, I believe. They do. They, do. they truly yeah. love this city. I mean, I see Brandon Graham after the game. He hugged every single person in the newsroom after his press conference. And, Tears in his know, eyes. Yep. He, he, the way he hugs D Gunner. It was like that. I almost started tearing up watching that because yeah. if, if you haven't watched the post game show on Comcast Sportsnet, the two of them go at it after every game jokingly and it just, I'm getting chills right now thinking about it because look back four years and Chip Kelly's dissing every single reporter and just has no respect whatsoever. And then this team shows that like from the water boy to the reporters, to the fans, to the head coach and everybody just so much love. And that's, that's why it's a, it was so depressing to see the season end, but it's still like a really feel good story. No, and that's what Doug has done for this team. And that's what this coaching staff has done. And he loves them. They love him. And these guys love each other. And it sounds corny, but in, listen, man, that, that, in, a, in a season like this in the NFL, it's so unforgiving. It's such an unforgiving game. You need that. You need that camaraderie. You need guys to love each other. You need guys to be there for you, to go to war with each other. You're going to war with people. You, you got to love the guy next to you. You got to be willing to fight for him. And these guys are, and that's why I don't worry about the core. They'll add to the core, but you know, the coaches are still going to be you know, Doug, that, that message is still going to ring strong in the locker room. And, and you still have a good co- group of core guys who are going to carry that message. Fletcher Cox, Malcolm Jenkins, Carson Wentz. I don't worry. I don't worry about the core. I, I, I do we need to add to it? Yes. Just like every other team does, but I love this coaching staff and I have, I have a lot of faith and um, to kind of like close out my emotional thoughts, I guess uh, what I'll say is if, if this was it for Nick, thank you, you know, thank you for bringing me the only Super Bowl I've ever seen. Thank you for like, just thank you for all of that last year. Thank you for, you know, the embrace that I got to share with my father who had, who has been waiting 60 years for a championship and, and to, to just the emotion of, of all of that. It was incredible. I'll never forget that as long as my, it's the greatest night of my life. Other than the day, other than my, the day I got married and other than the, the day my daughter was born, it was the greatest night of my life. And he gave me that. So Nick, if this was it, um, if I ever have the chance to buy you a beer or a meal, I'll absolutely do it. You, you know what I mean? You will, you will be forever a hero in the city and I'm almost getting emotional, you know, saying that stuff. So I'm going to stop. Dude, I, 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 
just these past few days. And and as you know, I'm a little more of a Foles guy than you are. And and not to say you aren't a Foles guy, and not to say that I don't understand that Wentz is the guy of the future, but like it's feel, it feels like saying goodbye to a girlfriend who you're breaking up with because you found somebody time, better. No, <laughs> no, because the time the timing just wasn't right, and. The reason it hurts me so much, I, I really liked him the first time he came around. And I'm writing a piece right now for 215. It's going to be a three-part uh, thank you letter to Nick. And it's going to touch on uh, his first time here in Philly, his second time here in Philly, and then uh, just what he's meant to me. But I think looking back, it's not the, it is the football that you know made me happy. But really what I love to see is a guy who every time he speaks to the media and every message he's ever said is what I want to see out of people in the world. And he is, uh, he's a prime example of what a good person is, what a caring person is, uh, what a person who believes in the people he loves the most is. And in a world that's so full of hate and negativity and dog eat dogness, all that kind of stuff. He's, he's taught me that you really need to just believe in yourself, stay true to who you are, Trust the people who you love the most and everything's going to be good. And I think that's, that's, that's what hurts so much is Carson's going to be great. And I don't know what his attitude is. I, I, he could be a great person, but it's just, it's impossible to beat the character of Nick Foles. You just don't see that in a quarterback anywhere. You don't see that in really a lot of players anywhere. It's, it's, it's not just doing a little bit of charity or, or, it's just overall living every day to the fullest and being the best person that you can be. I can't disagree with that. Nick, Nick's a great guy, man. He is a great guy. And if we can somehow figure out a way to keep him, I highly doubt it. I would love that. I would love nothing more than to keep Nick Foles. And I, I think that in looking back, you know, writing this piece to his first stint here, man, we didn't, we didn't appreciate him enough that time around. I mean, he had an unbelievable season and then he led the team to a six and two start the next year before he broke his collarbone. He was thrown into a system that didn't work to his strength yet. Somehow he won. He never complained about the coach, despite the fact that the coach had no faith in him. And if things had worked out differently, he might've been that franchise quarterback who was an Eagle all along and brought us that Super Bowl without having to go away and being the backup. And I, that's what hurts me. I guess for him the most. And I know it doesn't, it really doesn't hurt him as much as it hurts me because he's accepted it. And he definitely grew as a player and a person in his dime away from Philadelphia. But he was, the franchise, wonder, he was the franchise quarterback we needed at the time. And we yeah. gave him away for Sammy sleeves. Yeah. It's yeah. just, who knows? It's fair, to, he, it's, it's fair to wonder my man. It's fair to wonder. But uh, as with you, man, Thank you, Nick, for everything you did. I, I hope to someday meet you and, and thank you in person. And I really hope that you come back to Philly as a coordinator and always think of Philly as your true home because we love you and Philly should be your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and all, I, I can't really add much more to that. I, yeah, I, I, no, I, I hear you. And, and we'll go over next week more analytical stuff. We'll have our Carson versus Nick debate. Um, it's died down, but I still want to 
want to go at it a little bit with you, Justin, because it is fun to go at it with you. Yeah, not really. Definitely. Not really. It's just going to be interesting. But um, DiFilippo was uh, named the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville. So I really think that could be a spot where Nick would land. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't well, know. I, I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you heard that today, but uh, that's a team with no quarterback and they have basically every piece but the quarterback. So could if you very, have Fournette, yeah, could be very interesting. Um, and then real quick, uh, do you want to touch on the other sports tonight? I know we had planned on it, but we talked a lot about the Eagles. Um, I guess, I guess we can just touch on the f- Sixers. Nothing really new is happening. They killed the Timberwolves, but I still don't feel good about them as a playoff team right now. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest thing I think that's happening and I, yeah, I think we, we could touch on the other sports um, a lot more next week in depth, but obviously the Machopper thing with oh, the yeah. Phillies oh, yeah. is just, it's just getting the hot stove is burning and it's overflowing. The pot of iced tea is overflowing and the sugar is burning. Uh, and it's just kind of getting to the point where like you and I have been joking about, it. it's like every day it's like somebody tweets, uh, anonymous MLB executive believes that, uh, someone could sign Bryce Harper. And it's like, you know, duh, thanks for that. You, what these tweets are just not telling us anything. And it's just, this is kind of the way the MLB offseason. It's just so absurd and just gets so ridiculous. And, you know, I know that Machado's latest offer from the, from the Sox was 175. And I kind of said to you today, I was like, dude, I think that's a good sign for the Phillies because if that is as high as teams are willing to go, then the Phillies reasonably could sign both of these guys. Yeah, I mean, the, I think we, we, it was seven for 175 or whatever. It came out to like $23 million a year. It's a, you wonder, you, now you kind of just hope that if they go for Machado, they don't overpay out of desperation. But I mean... <laughs> Once again, whether there's a check mark by the name or not, these sources flip their stories every five minutes. And maybe it's because the players are flipping their stories every five minutes. But, like, just make a decision, guys. You're dragging it on too long. Get it over with already. Get it uh, over with already. I sort of, I almost wonder if they're going to hurt themselves. I mean, um, it didn't happen last year with the Sox. Who did the Sox uh, do this with last year? Uh, The Red Sox. Uh, they waited two months to sign. Uh, his name is escaping me now. Um, but the player that they were trying to go after or trying to sign, he waited very long last year. So, um, you know, this could continue to drag on. But I, I look forward to the Phillies podcast that we get to do when they sign yeah. one of these guys or both of these guys. And I, I really do look forward to getting into more into more Philly stuff as we get closer to pitchers and catchers and. We're going to have a lot to talk about with the draft upcoming, um, the Sixers down the stretch and, you know, the, you know, whatever happens with this hot burning stove, it'll be a interesting couple next couple of weeks and months. Yes, it will. And, and real quickly, I just like to throw this segment in. It's called now, you know, it's where I, uh, tell you something you might not have known. And, um, it's, it's breaking news fresh out of Dallas. He talked, uh, Jerry Jones was talking on the radio and apparently uh, the reason that the Cowboys lost their game of, against the Rams is because of the cleats um, on the radio. I don't have you seen this, Justin? I don't know if you've seen I haven't this. seen this No. So he uh, Jerry Jones goes on the radio and this was his quote. I've had the benefit of the tape, looking at the tape, the evaluation by both scouts as well as the coaches. 
We frankly had never gotten traction, and I mean that literally. That was a slippery field. If I had to do it over again, we would really be scrutinizing our footwear, our cleats. We had trouble digging in, so to speak. Oh, God. I just, break. <laughs> it's come to that, man. I, I just hope they sign Dak long-term and keep Jason Garrett around forever because as long as Garrett's the head coach, we don't have to worry about them bringing home the Lombardi. Captain Clap? Yeah, yeah, me neither. Yeah, I'm, not, think- I'm not worried about him. Not worried about him at all. So there you have it. Uh, it's been a whirlwind of a weekend. It's been a whirlwind of an early week. I'm still car lagged from 26 out of 72 hours in a car. Justin deals on the regular with the sick child. He is killing fatherhood in the best way possible. So as always, Justin, thank you for all your contributions to this podcast, despite a busy schedule. It's just getting that Philly fan perspective out there, man. Yeah, man. And once again, I appreciate you. And, uh, my daughter is, uh, she's doing quite well after kicking this latest cold. So she's, uh, (laughs) she's, uh, she's on the mend. This is just what infants do not to worry anybody out there, but Pete, I thank you for thank you for giving us your perspective on going down there, and uh, it was it was interesting to hear it. And hey, man, just glad to be doing this with you. That's for certain. Next week, folks, if you haven't listened before, if you have friends who haven't listened before, let them know. Flying high, the Philly fan perspective at Flying High Pod on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us on iTunes. We are doing a full breakdown of the season and looking forward assessing the Eagles position by position. I can't wait. There's going to be a lot of good discussion. Until then, send requests. Play us out. So tell me what I'm